0: I'd like to start here in Ephesians 1, so if you wanted to turn there in advance. The last time I spoke, we examined the mystery of God under this overall header of the series of sermons on the mysteries of God. We learned then that God's existence can be known from what he has made. We see that in Romans 1, clearly stated by the Apostle Paul that there's really no excuse when the design and the beauty and the symmetry of, of creation can be seen and understood, there's absolutely a, a spiritual intelligence behind that. Uh, so there's no excuse there. But we could also we also learn that uh, uh, we can study and understand God's substance, what He is, uh, and this can be learned, uh, though not always understood. It can be learned through His Word just on the surface of what it says. A lot of people don't have the depth to understand some things, or how to apply some of the things that we learn, or the implications of God's substance, what he is, but it is there for people to see. We learned also that but in knowing who God is, uh, this requires a resilient obedience on our part. And we'll see that again today as we cover the next subject in this series. This obedience to his word is needed to truly understand him at the level he wants us to. We also have to have an adoring emulation of him. The implication is when we learn of God and his ways, there is this respectful following, worshiping of him. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. We read that. Uh, Knowing the heart of God is what we talked about last week and we we learned then that that is something he reveals it's not something that can be uh dug out or learned or understood at at a human level uh, without it god has only uh a privileged a comparative few in this age to know his thoughts uh to know his passions uh to see how his conscience works and how to emulate that and to understand his will which is the next uh, subject we 'll cover in terms of mysteries Ephesians one verses seven through ten we 'll start with today in fact, this is the entirety of the, this message today we 're just going to uh, uh, somewhat uh, dig into these next, these four verses verses seven through ten to understand what this means first in verse seven of ephesians one in him Christ both which are in heaven and which are in earth, in him. Now this reading through this, especially as this first portion in, in Ephesians chapter one is a kind of a run on sentence, it's hard to kind of break this down, disassemble it and see what this, these four verses are saying about understanding God's will and and how he makes it a mystery. So let's do that today. Why is God's will a mystery? Well, let's uh, let's examine that. If you like a title, this is, again, the header is The Mysteries of God, Part 3, The Mystery of God's Will. In verse 9 here, Ephesians 1 and verse 9, we read that he has made known to us, or having made known to us, God's will in this respect, uh, which is the center of these four verses and potentially the entire chapter, uh, it has to be revealed. He makes it known. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 3 here. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we'll read verse 11. We've done this. Uh, we've gone through this verse in one of the uh, previous messages in this series. Uh, but you're going to find that as we go through all of these mysteries, they are all interrelated. And even though One can be read in one context. It can also be read in another context to understand it as well. And this is one of those verses. Uh, In fact, there's a few more we'll look at here in this context of God having to make known to us what his mystery is. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Notice that reference to time here. Um, In its time, everything has a time. There was a a verses 2 through uh, eight uh, was a Solomon's rendition of a bird song that was made in 1960s. I'm kidding. It was the reverse. Does anyone even remember the birds? The band, the birds, all the old people. Well, young ones, it was a band in the 1960s. And you could probably find that song being played online, although some don't like it. It was done in kind of a folk beat. In either case, uh, he's talking here about time and segments with respect to his plan as he is in Ephesians 1 as we'll read through that as we go through this you'll see this he has made everything beautiful in its time the indication here that something beautiful in one time may not be in another uh we've had uh, all kinds of swans on our in our on our pond in our backyard over the summer and uh when they're young they don't look like swans i mean they look like truly look like ugly ducks they're they their feathers have not come out they're gray and they're they're not white and beautiful uh, they're just not formed in such a way, but in time they become these beautiful, white, majestic birds. And it, it, things within God's creation—it's uh, the same way. Within each segment of His His plan, you'll see some things that are appropriate, and sometimes and not in another. Verse eleven: He is also He has put eternity in their hearts. This looking forward uh, to life forever—it's it's difficult for someone given life to imagine their life ending. So there's this concept that they they will live eternally is easy to sell someone, but the basis for it is not understood. Can you, can you do you remember before you were born? Nobody does. All right. Well, you won't remember after you die either, <laughs> unless God resurrects you in one form or another to allow you to understand that. And maybe we can. Uh, hum, it humbles us within this physical existence, I think, to to remember that he's put eternity in their hearts except that no one can find out the work that god does from beginning to end this reference of beginning to end is very interesting but as i said last time the word the phrase here find out no one can find out that's taken from the hebrew word matzah, matsa m a t s a and it means self direction or an effort made to attain something something uh, that one acquires or one strives to get, we see here that no one that that knowing what God intends is not a self-directed discovery. It's not something that people could just find out on their. Solomon was one of the wisest men that's ever lived. He certainly couldn't understand that. Bits and pieces of it may be seen, and he he identifies some of those in his writings, in Proverbs. But the plan from beginning to end can only be revealed. That phrase, from beginning to end, we'll see a number of times as we go through this today. Because in understanding what God's will is, in any segment, any section of that plan he has, uh, has to fit in with the overall directive of the plan, his overall intention, what he intends from its beginning. When so many do not know their origin uh, or are confused about it, they cannot know the purpose for their life or their destiny. And that has to be revealed and accepted once it is. If we do not, if we don't understand from beginning to end or see our lives in the context of God's overall plan, then all that matters is the the myopic captivity of the here and now. Uh, Even with all his wisdom, Solomon was frustrated by this, by what he could see only from his perspective as he described it as under the sun. Look at what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes 7, we'll read verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? Uh, This is a great frustration uh, for individuals who seek to fix things in this age, because some things just can't be fixed. Uh, It has to wait for another aspect of God's plan for that to happen. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, uh, be, uh, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. We've all gone through things in our lives, illnesses, job losses, all kinds of things. Loss of those close to us where we sit and think, how can this be God's will? You hear the whole of the world make excuses saying they can't believe in a God who will allow the tragedies and the suffering we see all around us in this age. Um, But Solomon is telling us from his perspective, in the day of adversity, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. Why would a loving God allow such suffering that we see around us? Uh, Look at Ecclesiastes 8. Verses 16 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to seek the business uh, that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. Solomon was wise enough to know that there were no answers in this age. He did not understand God's plan from beginning to end. Thus, he could not see God's purpose in what he was experiencing in the, again, the myopic now of his own life. And no human being can see this apart from God revealing it. So how does God reveal it? Amos 3, verse 7. I'll just read this to you. Amos 3 and verse 7. Says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets, those who wrote the scriptures. We could add to that the apostles, anyone who was inspired to record the Word of God by God Himself. So this is how it's revealed. Look at Second Peter in this respect. Second Peter and verse one. I'm sorry chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, Second <clears throat> Peter 1, uh, through 21 actually, Second Peter 1, verses 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Note that uh, Christ even mentioned this as well, that prophecy is not given so you can predict what's coming. Prophecy is given so that once it is fulfilled, the word is confirmed. Uh, too many have tried to Estimate what is coming apart from the prophecies of God by their own interpretation and gotten lost. Uh, What we understand is it confirms our faith when we see it fulfilled. Faith, obviously, is unseen, but there are things that help us in what we do not see. And so we have the prophetic word confirm what you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Um, As God inspired his will to be written, he also inspires his will to be known. All by his Spirit. All by his Spirit. When God's word is confirmed, we are to heed it, as this work says, which many today are not willing to do. We talked about the influence of obedience and and learning from God within that obedience and practically applying what he's given us. Some do not do that, in which case he cannot reveal to them what they may even seek. We are to heed it as lights in a dark place. This world around us darkens every day, every week, every month. And uh, we cannot darken with it. We may still be relatively bright with respect to those in darkness, but we're supposed to be growing in light to the point where Ephesians says, I think it's chapter 2 or 3, where it says we are to be our own light. Maybe it's chapter 1. The light should be our own at some point. We own it because his law is written in our hearts. His spirit leads us in all things. Um, in Revelation 2 and, and Revelation 22, the morning star is referred to as Jesus Christ. So when the morning star rises within our hearts, uh, when we heed his word, as his word is written into our hearts, you may as well say that Christ is written into our hearts, um, our hearts begin thinking like Christ. The mind of Christ, we covered that last time. Uh, The conscience of Christ, how he makes choices and decisions. His passions and his will, which is the very will of God, we'll see that as we close this message, develops within us as well, and it prepares us to receive him. But that all starts from heeding his word, not just reading it, not just memorizing it, not just knowing where to find it in the scriptures, but knowing how to apply it in our lives. Uh, Being led by God's Spirit into all truth is what unifies us and prepares us to be one with the Father and his Son. We read that last time in John 17, Verses twenty through twenty three, we are to be one as they are one, one with them. Christ prayed, but again, it's only it only happens when God's Spirit leads us into all truth. Now, whatever God's will is for something within this stage of His plan, or some other stage of His plan, whatever His pleasure is on any situation in this age, um, it cannot be understood. Standing alone. It cannot be understood outside of his overall purpose. His overall plan for humanity. He he created us for a purpose, and we have that purpose to look forward to if we understand and heed his will. Now, whatever happens to us, sickness, illness, loss, loss of a job, anything that we're suffering through in this age, or anything that we're blessed with in this age, prosperity, possessions, family, whatever, All has to be seen within the context of his overall plan for humanity. And when we repented of our sins, when we embraced our faithful observance of his word, when he washed us clean in the blood of Christ, and when he gave us his spirit, we have now committed ourselves to live within that overall plan. So anything that happens to us in this age has to be brought into submission to God's overall purpose for all of humanity which we signed up for. We don't want our plan anymore. We don't want the goals and objectives that we have. We want God's. And we want everything we do in this age to work within that. Some are not willing to accept that. But it is extremely important. That is what's revealed to those who are led by His Spirit to keep and obey His every word. And it sets them apart. They don't set themselves apart. They're sanctified by the word of God. God. This is especially important to remember as we experience any kind of pain or misery or loss in this age. Um, whether suffered on a world scale to the people around us or just personally, everything that God does or allows is framed by his overall purpose. So what is that overall purpose? Back to Ephesians 1 and in verse 10. There's a phrase in that verse that says, In the dispensation of the fullness of of the times. What times? Well, the sections or the stages of God's plan. The plan of God has stages. Some have been accomplished. Some are yet to come. But how do we know where we are at this point within his overall purpose from beginning to end? Well, it's by obeying him, especially with respect to his Sabbath and his holy days. You have to keep them to understand them. Obedience comes first when God commands us to keep his Sabbath. When he commands us to keep his holy days, they must be kept before they can be understood. That goes on an individual basis, no matter if we were reared in the church or we were not, called in from the outside. If you remember uh, in H.W.E.'s biography, sorry, Herbert Armstrong's biography, that he and his wife Loma began keeping the holy days in 1927, even though they didn't understand them. And it took them four or five, six years before they began to. And I've known too many people who stopped keeping the holy days and forgot them almost immediately and forgot God's plan almost immediately because they did not act on God's command to keep them. The prophetic meaning of God's Sabbath. Let's just look at that for a, mi- a minute. Uh, Let's go back to Hebrews 4 here. Hebrews chapter 4. We've covered this before, but again, I think in the context of this revelation of God uh, through our obedience, the keeping of his word, is very important here. Ephesians 4, we'll read verses 1 through 3. Let me just say something about chapter 3 that his reference to his rest, his coming rest, is mentioned all through there. For sake of time, I'll just summarize this in chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 3 first. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, the word rest here, and used uh, several times throughout this chapter, and the chapter before is the Greek word kataposis. It's pointing to something in the future. We'll cover that in more detail in a moment. But there's also a word at the end of this uh, series that we'll read. We'll end up eventually reading Verse 11. That is not the word kataposus, but it's still translated rest. So therefore, verse 1 again, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Note, we can come short of it. Paul said he could be disqualified. He could disqualify himself. We can do the same thing. We could keep the Sabbath day and the Holy Days all of our lives and still come short of it. We don't learn what it means to keep them. If it's just a celebration or a vacation or something fun that we do and don't understand the meaning in them, we will miss out on understanding God's will for them. Verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Believing it, some believed it. Very few acted on it. Faith without works is dead. James tells us that. James 2, verse 3. For we uh, who have believed do enter that rest, kataposus, as he said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. That's uh, here in the Greek, kataposus, a different word in the Hebrew, but the same meaning, something in the future. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So God's work was finished. It was established, it was set in place at the foundation of the world when the Sabbath was established, creation week. At the very end of it all, he established the Sabbath. It didn't come into being at Sinai. The Israelites were told to remember it, to keep it, it was already in place. Uh, God's rest, as we have discussed before, is a very settled resolve, a peace that comes over us. That under his divine rule, his divine authority, and his almighty care, everything is going to be okay. He said that at the end of the creation week. He saw everything that he had made, and it was very good. He was pleased with it. We need to be pleased with it as well. This is not a relationship to creation, but to the Creator. Pleased that what he had designed would be fulfilled. He worked it out at the beginning of, The end will be as he intends it, as he wills it. This is our shared peace on the Sabbath. No matter what's happening out there all week long, when we come together, this is what we focus on. Actually, when the sun sets on a a Friday evening, it brings us together no matter where we're at, because we're sharing the same thoughts. We're resting with God. At the level of his rest, we're detaching from everything that's plaguing us in this age, and looking forward to when that will be gone. And then we share that together when we come together in a holy convocation. That joy and encouragement uh, is laced into his Sabbaths, and we, we share in those when we keep them, truly in obedience, keeping them and respect them. Let's look at verses 4 through 11 now. For he, God, has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day, of the seventh day. It's a reference to that Sabbath. This way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place they shall not enter my rest. This is those who were not faithfully keeping it, not obeying him. Verse 6, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying, "In David, today, after such a long time, that it has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How? By continuing on in lust, in fear, in pride, and all of the elements that drive our sinful choices. Every Sabbath should be upgrading us in his rest looking forward to what he will bring this earth at Christ's return, and even thereafter in the peace every human being will have when they're transformed into spirit and into his family forever. That's what should be on our minds, not the the failures of the past week or the sorrows of the past week, but the the joy we have in his fulfillment, his will being fulfilled. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would have not... He would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. This is the verse that changes, the, the, the Greek word for rest changes to sabbatismos. And you are not wrong in associating that word with the Sabbath, same root, sabbatismos. So there is a sabbatismos in this age pointing to a cataposus, in the age to come. And his will is embedded in this, and we practice it every week, if we keep his Sabbath the way he commanded us to. Verse 10, For he who has entered his rest, back to Kataposus, has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, Kataposus, lest anyone fall uh, according to the same example of disobedience. You see how important it is to obey God. It's not just that we are patterning our life after him and walking the right steps. It changes us. It it gives us the ability to understand his will. Those who don't keep his Sabbaths and his holy days do not understand his plan, his will for mankind. And they cannot frame their choices, their passions, their will, and their conscience within the overall plan of God. We know it from beginning to end. We know why we were born. And we know where we are going. We know that for all of humanity. Who else does that does not keep his Sabbath? That does not keep his holy days? In uh, From the Anchor Bible Dictionary, on the section of uh, Hebrews 4, verses 9 through 11... It, uh, it says this, quote, The experience of Sabbath rest points to a present rest katapausis reality in which those who have believed are entering, and it points to a future rest reality. Physical Sabbath keeping on the part of the New Covenant believer is affirmed by Sabbath rest. That, that quote, that phrase, epitomizes cessation from works in commemoration of God's rest at creation and manifests faith, in the salvation provided by Christ. Hebrews 4, verses 3 through 11, affirms that physical Sabbath rest, sabbatismos, is the weekly outward manifestation of the inner experience of spiritual rest, katapasis, in which the final rest is experienced already today. Thus, Sabbath rest combines in itself creation commemoration, Genesis 1, 2, salvation experience and end-time anticipation, beginning, way of life, and end, all based on the Sabbath. Both Sabbatismos and kataposis are commanded by God. In each, we appreciate that we are the created of God. And because of that, we are patient and calm, assured that the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, will complete the work he began in us. It's a Philippians 1 verse 6 reference there. In each sabbatismos and kataposus, we are set apart in this age by Christ in us, reconciled to God and each other as we share a settled resolve to subject, to submit our will to to His will, how would He expect us to submit to His will if we don't know it? How could we if we didn't know His will? I'll give you a reference here in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. And then lastly, in each sabbatismos and katapostos, we celebrate in advance our entering into God's eternal rest in the kingdom of God. That's the end. Beginning, way of life, and end. All based upon our understanding, our revelation, his revelation to us of his plan for all of humanity. If you're ever wondering what God wants you to do, what is God's will? And you pray and you fast and you pray and you fast. I've seen this so many times. Uh, someone coming to me saying, I've been praying and fasting, asking God what I should do and what, what his will is here. I said, well, I'm glad you came to me. Let, turn to this scripture. This is what God says. So this is what he wants you to do. Well, okay, thank you for that interpretation. And they go on and do whatever they want to do anyway. And I frustrating frustratingly just go, okay, well, good luck with that. <laughs> when you want to know God's will, you're fasting and praying for it, and you see it in his word, whether a minister shows it to you or not, you read it yourself. Are you just panning over it? Because what you're really looking for is projecting your will into God's versus the reverse. You won't understand it. He won't understand what He wants you to do. The Holy Days fit into this as well. and We won't do this. It will take too long. We understand the Holy Days because we keep them. And we see the plan of God unfolding for us every year. We just completed this cycle for 2020. And we're looking forward to next year as well. But very similarly, God's annual holidays mark the stages and dispensations of His plan. But Like His weekly Sabbath, God only reveals their meanings and His will for them as they are kept. They have to be kept. They have to be obeyed. Acts 17. Turn with me, please, to Acts 17. We'll read this 29 through 31. I think we've touched on this before as well, but again, in this context, it's important for us to remember. Acts 17, verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, His children his family, to whom he reveals his will when we obey him as his children. We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped uh, by art or man's devising. We shouldn't be looking to the creation for answers. We should be looking to the creator for answers. Verse 30, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent. Notice this, the entirety of the world, he wants to repent. This is one of the basis that we have for preaching the gospel, the kingdom of God. Certainly not to the exclusion of caring for God's people, but we all recognize we want to see this happen because he, he wants all to repent. He wants all to know where they stand and what they must do. That by no means suggests that all will repent. We know from the word of God there will be a lake of fire. We know there will be some who will flat out reject him. But we need to understand something in the will of God when we read this. Verse 31, Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. Raising him from the dead. We know that's a reference to Jesus Christ whom Paul was preaching here. And we'll understand that connection better a bit later. The gospel of the kingdom of God is preached to all in this age. Uh, in Matthew 22, you just write this down, Matthew 22, verse 14, Christ said, "This is, he, he said this more than one time, but this is one reference, many are called, but few are chosen. Few are brought into the elect. Why? They hear the invitation or they hear the warning, but they don't respond in the way that allows him to bring them into the elect. That is the condition of this age. Though all will hear this message, if not by our work, but by those who come after us, chiefly probably the two witnesses, but the whole world will know. Now those that have died will have their chance at some future point. We understand that all by his holy days. We understand that in his plan. It doesn't mean that uh, the, that people are not part of God's plan in this age. They're still part of it. They're, they're just in a different stage because of the conditions they have to face and overcome. God's word indicates that very few respond to this preaching of, of their opportunity to repent. But that's in this age. It doesn't mean they're not part of his plan. Back in Ephesians 1 now and verse 10, there's a phrase there that says this, That he might gather together in one all things. The word that there is very critical because all we read prior to that, the mystery of his will and all of that, why is he doing that? Why is he hiding his will? That he might gather together in one all things. Why is he revealing his will to those of the elect that can understand? This is his overall goal. If you wanted to say the overall goal of God at the end of this is that he might gather together in one, this is through Christ, we'll cover that in a minute, all things. All things, every human being. All all of his physical creation, all of his spiritual creation gathered together in one family. God's elect in this age have often been falsely accused of having a very exclusive and very selfish view of God's will. It's all about us. Right, it's all about us. I'm, I've, I've heard even ministers make that statement to the brethren. It's all about us, well, is it? I, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't know every firstborn that's ever lived, but the firstborns that I have known have a. They share their parents' care for their siblings, for the most part. They have this. Feel a responsibility to take care of their siblings. And even though they were the firstborn, um, they don't see themselves as exclusive from their siblings. Maybe some do. I've never met one. At least one who understands God's concept of family. Um, and that example that they set when they realize that is so important. That's us. We are the first fruits. We'll be the firstborn with Jesus Christ at his return. And all of our brothers and sisters need to be on our minds, not only then, but also now, in preparation. It's greatly what motivates us. Um, the that he might gather together in one all things is a reference to salvation. And sometimes when people see what we believe or what we espouse, it looks like we think salvation belongs only to us. But they forget the, those sections of God's plan. And now some are not called now. Some are called. Few are chosen. And don't understand why there's an exclusive group made exclusive by God, but not by us. Some among the elect have even felt shame for this. Uh, but those that know the will of God know nothing could be further from the truth. This plan is about every human being that's ever lived. And we know that is God's will, but by His will, in order for this plan to be as effective as it can be, there have to be stages, and He's working it out that way. Look at uh, this is Christ's example in uh, Luke nine, Luke chapter nine, verses fifty one through fifty six. Luke nine and verse fifty one. Now it came to pass when the time had come for Him to be received up. That he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Notice how Christ had a respect of time, God's timing here as well. Verse 52. And sent messengers before his face, as and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set uh, for the journey to Jerusalem. Ah, you're you're going there. You're just blowing by us. I guess we don't matter. You're going to Jerusalem and uh verse fifty four and when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, "Lord, do you want us to command fire come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? It, at least they asked <laughs> um, but that was that was not his mindset, and he could see that that issue in their own mind he said verse fifty five but he turned and rebuked them, and said that you do not know." Uh, what manner of spirit you are of. This is something that we need to be aware of in this age. You see something happening, something unjust, something terrible that you would like to correct or fix, and you want to take it into your own hands, be mindful of what spirit you are of. Be mindful and respect God's timing. We're not trying to fix the world in this age, that's not what He's called us to do. Acts of love are always welcome. But, you know, getting involved politically, getting involved militarily, you want to go over there and fight the bad guys. That's a, that's a big lie. It is a massive lie that many have swallowed. Many who are reared in the church because they want to fix things. Verse 56, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Uh, any chess players in here? One, two. Ken Klein's in Little Falls today. Nice. No, actually, think it's in Fargo. A few chess players. What's the goal of chess? Take as many pieces as you can. When I was little and I was learning, that's what I thought. No, the goal is to take the king. Now I I, I won a lot of chess games by letting the other guy take as many pieces as he could but I had a laser focus on taking his king, and even though he had half my pieces and I had few of his, I could still beat him because he lost focus. What's the goal of football? Gain the most yards? No, it's outscore your opponent to win. Oftentimes, many games are won by teams who gain the fewest yards, but they gain the most points. Sometimes you can lose focus. And and this is what he's trying to help them to see and understand. The overall purpose here is to save mankind, not destroy them. Any action that we take in this age, we need to keep that in mind. That is the will of God. And we need to learn how to work within that will to represent it to those we work with. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, I'll just read these next two. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. In this context, he's talking about scoffers who doubt the return of Christ and so on. Uh, back to verse, uh, verse 9 and 2 Peter 3. But as long-suffering toward us, uh, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. Uh, again, that doesn't mean that no one will perish. But the desire in the nature of God is to save everyone. Is that our desire? But that all should come to repentance. All should come to repentance. The chief, the, the very beginning of the gospel of the kingdom, that good news, that message, is repent. Repent. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, that's where repentance leads to an embracing of the truth, faith and keeping it in all of the the way the Bible explains it. Now, again, this is not an absolute. Not all will choose truth or life. But it is God's will that all have that choice. Remember the overall purpose of the plan here. God is reproducing himself in humanity. This is the greatest of his creative initiatives, greater than anything in the universe, to reproduce himself. But this includes granting eternal life to those who commit to developing his holy, righteous character within their free moral agency. If you evaluate all of Christianity, all the things we know and all the things we're supposed to do, that is the number one challenge. Developing holy, righteous character within our free moral agency. Choosing God's way over our own. Everything boils down to that. And this will not happen in this stage of God's plan for all of humanity. Some, as history has shown us, have to learn the hard way. Many of us have had to as well. Um, judgment in this age is on the church. That's First Peter four verse seventeen. Judgment, God's judgment, His evaluation process, is on those He has elected, given His Spirit to, and brought into the body of Christ. He's not trying to save the world in this age. He's working mostly with us at this point in this stage of his plan. Look at Colossians. This phrase I want to focus on here is in Ephesians one is the most important. This is Ephesians one, and verse ten, where after all of this, we recognize that God's will is known only in Christ, in Him. In John five, verse nineteen, I'll just I'll go through these fairly quickly. John five and verse nineteen. It says then Jesus answered and said to them most assuredly I say to you the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do for whatever he does the son also does in like manner so in the actions and in the words of Jesus Christ and all he set to do following his father's will is our example of knowing the will of the father in the words and the actions the deeds of Jesus Christ and his faith in John 14 verses 6 through 11 let's let's read that John 14 John 14 verses 6 through 11 the night before he died he said this John 14 verse 6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One could say no one learns of the Father. Nobody understands the Father. Nobody can know his will except through Christ. Verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Because we saw him in Christ through the writings of the apostles, obviously, not in person. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have you been with me so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am, I uh, don't want to get that wrong, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or or else believe me for sake of the works themselves, the things that he did. We are to emulate them. It is in emulating Christ that we learn and do the will of our Heavenly Father. John 5 and verse 30. John 5.30 says this, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. We are all supposed to be developing righteous discernment, righteous judgment. How do we know it's righteous? Well, it depends on God's will becoming ours. And we learn this in Christ. Not just in listening and, and memorizing what he said, but actually putting it into practice. In John 4 and verse 34, John or Christ said this, John 4 verse 34, Jesus said to him, My food, or to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do we see seeking and understanding and applying the will of God in our life as our food? Do we take in of it as much as we take in of food? John 6 and verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6 and verse 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Now this goes well beyond professing to be a Christian. Seeking and emulating the will of God in Christ is what makes us Christian. And we have to be led by His Spirit to learn that, into every word of His truth. In Matthew 7, verse 21 Christ said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father does active, not just know it, but does it. And in Matthew 12, verse 50, Matthew 12, verse 50 says, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Everyone in God's family seeks and does the Father's will, as Christ has taught us and represented it to us in not just words, but also his example. I'd like to finish back where we started in Ephesians 1. We'll read verses 7 through 10 again. Notice how this begins and ends, this section. Note that the passage begins and ends. The beginning and the ending of it is in him. Reference to Christ. and which are on earth, in him, in Christ. Many today wonder what on earth God is doing. When they look around them, again, in the narrowness of what we can see happening around us or to us in this age, in this very short expanse of physical time amidst the eternity uh, that Jesus Christ and God the Father have lived in forever forever, Um, and wonder what's going on and can't know where the answers are and don't see their lives in the will of God. And many use that as a means of not believing in him at all. For the vast percentage of humanity in this age, God's will is and will remain for now a mystery, but not for us. For those in Christ, we know God's will and we strive to make it our own. We'll continue this in, the, in another aspect of God's uh, mysteries, his wisdom, uh, the next time that I speak.